Hey friends, welcome back to The Well Podcast. I'm Amber and I'm your host. This is our final The Well Podcast for 2019. We are heading into the busy season of family and celebration and most importantly, celebrating the birth of the one that God sent to save us, Jesus, our Savior and Messiah. With the holidays comes busyness and it also comes time with people. Everyone is about to take a break from work or school or get some help with your full-time mom status and you'll have family or friends around that you'll get some bonus time with. That can be wonderful and amazing. And maybe you all have families like in the show Parenthood and you all sit around in the backyard among century old trees and perfectly strung lights and you smile and your children love everything on their plates. But at least one of you has family and relatives that aren't as easygoing and holidays add stress and tension. I'm going to encourage you in some rich conversation with your most unlikely person. You already know who I mean. But in the spirit of the well, how about not bringing up just simple pleasantries, but ask them about their life? In doing the well and forming the idea behind it, we think everyone has a story. And when someone shares their story, it's amazing how people connect to it. You have probably experienced that here listening to our community. You may even know some of the people that we have talked to, but my guess is you didn't know their story. And in learning about someone's life, maybe you can hear their story and understand them. Maybe they share their story and they already know Jesus, but they miss seeing how he has worked in their life until they talk through it and someone takes the time to listen. Maybe they don't know Jesus and it opens up a window for you to pray with them or connect with them. It's time to share your story or listen to someone else's. You think you know each other because you've been around each other for probably years, but you know what? You probably don't know them. We don't mean that you need to ask them to unload their backlog of mistakes or pry and dig out your sister-in-law's past. Stories aren't about you, they are about Jesus. Your story may have unfolded because of a mistake or because of anxiety or financial hardship. But the real story is when you gave up your pride and self-control and handed it to Jesus. Share that. Sometimes it takes sharing your story to figure out your testimony. Have you ever thought, I don't even know what my testimony is. It's not always what we think it is. Sometimes we're just afraid because we think people will hate us when they hear what we've done, when they hear the evil desires of our heart. Most of the time though, People that already know and love you are waiting for you to tell them so they can have a chance to hug you and comfort you. Others will connect with you because they saw you weren't perfect either. Some will come running to you because they are struggling and they need help from an imperfect person that's a few steps ahead of them in the walk of life. But it's not the sharing of mistakes that will allow others to hear Jesus in you. It's the acknowledgement that we are broken and cannot do this walk without Jesus and Him saving us from ourselves, and ultimately finding freedom and grace in that salvation. As our pastor once said, our brokenness just might be the biggest gift that we have, because it's our brokenness that shows us our need for Jesus. Don't be afraid to see your true brokenness and find Jesus in your healing. This month's story comes from Courtney, who has recently walked quite a journey with her family. I'm not going to spoil her story. I'll let her share it. She does a great job. 
But my guess is that even people that know her and know her family will hear parts of this that they didn't know. I love this story. It's so encouraging. Come and meet my friend, Courtney. Um, I was born in Athens, Georgia. <clears throat> Go dogs, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, lived there until I was one. Um, my parents were students. The University of Georgia actually just graduated. They were a little bit older students because it was um, during a, a time when a lot of, you know, Vietnam War, of course, had wound up. And then a lot of men had served, like my dad um, didn't go to Vietnam, but served in the military. And um, so a little bit older students. And so they had me um, right at, actually, there's a picture of my dad in his cap and gown. And I was about a week old holding me, you know, graduating <laughs> from the University of Georgia. So um, when I was about a year old, I think, um, we moved to a small town, Loganville, Georgia. It's kind of, wait, somebody from Loganville? Oh, oh, yeah, you're close. That's Jessica. Never mind. I'm like, wait, somebody, like, what? <laughs> yes, all right, yeah, she's not from too far from there. So, um, yeah, so kind of in between Athens and Atlanta, and um, my dad had um, joined the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and so he was all over Atlanta, you know, just keeping everybody straight, and uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and um, when I was three, um, had little brother come along, um, John, so um, never a dull moment in the house with two very active children, so yeah. 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 So what was your home life like? You know, it was good. I, for the most part, I mean, my mom, I will brag on her, and she's here, and I would say this even if she weren't, but she still loves the Lord and just really instilled that in us. I mean, we would watch, I mean, y'all are going to laugh, but this was a big deal in the early 80s. I mean, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, we'd watch it like she's dying up there. But like, we would be watching PTL and I'd clap and praise the Lord. PTL. I mean, I was like Pentecostal before it was cool. I don't know. But yeah, we would, we would praise the Lord together. And I mean, I, she just really prayed for us a lot and talked about Jesus all the time. So it was just, so y'all went to church. Oh yeah. We went to church, uh, Loganville First Baptist. And um, it was where I was Sundays and Wednesdays. And, um, you know, it's just where some of my happiest memories are going to church. And my mom was a GA leader for a while. And that's um, girls in action. Yeah, um, girls in action. We learned about <laughs> missions. So, yeah, she would make us go to the nursing homes and sing and, you know, bring cards and stuff. I'm like, Ugh. but it was, you know, it was great. It yeah. Was um, so were you, did you commit your life to Christ as a child? Yes. So do you remember anything about that? I do. I remember, um, and y'all is going to show us very, like, I, this is a good thing, but like very small town Baptist. We had a revival at our church and I was seven. And so went to, a, a, they took the kids kind of like to children's church. Um, and I got to hear the gospel. And of course I'd heard it a lot, but it was the, the time that I actually received it. And so I, um, I was just so excited to be able to say, oh, I've accepted Jesus in my life. And I remember asking my mom, does this mean that I get to be, I called it, I think, baptized? I didn't even know baptized. I was like, can I be baptized now? And so I was. And I just remember telling people about it, and I was so excited. So, you know, you don't really understand everything at that age, what it means. But I knew that I was a new creature and that he'd forgiven my sins. Yeah. And yeah. so that was enough yeah. at age seven. It yeah. Was good. yeah. So what was your childhood and adolescence like? after that if you yeah. if you didn't have like a, a sin to turn away from yeah <laughs> or a big well, one I was about to say maybe not big ones but um you know 
don't know, what are you doing when you're seven? I'm bad stuff, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I was always very performance driven. I mean, a typical firstborn, you know, you want to do the right things, people pleaser. So I'd say my sons weren't super visible, but you know, they were there and I would, I'm sure tell lies and do bad things, but it wasn't so obvious at that age that I was sinning and, you know, that I was this bad kid. I don't have a really awesome testimony about, you know, I wasn't obviously doing drugs or doing stuff (laughs) at that age. So, but I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I'm actually so glad that I was saved at a young age because it allowed my faith to build and it kept me close to the Lord in a way that I, you know, I just didn't have to be away from him for so long. He was just, he's always been part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And that's a gift to, Absolutely. to start at, Absolutely. at that age. Um, so your home life is pretty yeah. good. I mean, yeah, it was, it was fine. Now things started to change a bit as I got a little bit older. Um, when I was 13, my parents divorced and that of course was a really, you know, it was a tough time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, so many changes happen and um, everything you think that is normal and stable all of a sudden isn't normal anymore, you know. And so um, after my parents divorced, we stayed in Loganville for a little while, maybe a year and a half, but then we needed to move because my mom had been a stay-at-home mom for, I mean, the whole time I, you know, I was growing up. And so um, going back to the workforce was tough and she was a social worker. So, Mm. you know, she needed, um, a job and she found one, but it just wasn't anything that really could provide a stable life for us. So we ended up moving, um, down to Macon, Georgia, where my mom's family lived. And I actually really loved it because my cousins were there Mm. and, but we ended up moving in with my grandmother, um, just because, like I said, we really didn't have much money. And so we, we ended up living with her. So it's my brother and my mom and me and my grandmother, who was a widow. Um, so my poor grandmother just, you know, was probably living a pretty peaceful life. And then here comes, you know, yeah. Yeah. a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and her daughter who didn't really want to be there. So, um, so I'm still, my grandmother's actually still living. I'm so thankful for mm. her and her sacrifice because that was probably really tough yeah. for her. Um, but again, it was, it was hard, but it was, I mean, you can look back and say, that's exactly where God wanted us to be moving us to Macon. Um, from there, I was able to go to a Christian school and that was life changing for me. Um, I just was able to really focus on, um, you know, I really got focused on academics and that drive to perform just kind of intensified because I was a new girl and I thought, well, you know, uh-huh. I can kind of remake myself. And not that I was bad in Logan, it wasn't that at all, but it was just more like, oh, yeah, I can become Who am a I gonna new be person. Here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because this is before social media. There was no footprint at all. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was new. Yeah. Down. So, yeah. So I, uh, I became the editor of the school newspaper, of course, after a year. I wrote for the Macon Telegraph. Like, but the else? town newspaper? Yes, yes. That's I was. Yeah. What did you write? Oh, I got to do all kinds of fun stuff. So they would put me on things like, all right, this is funny because we're in church, but um, y'all know the soap opera Young and the Restless? So Nick, who's on there now, was like 19 or something at the time. And so they said, he's coming. This is y'all when malls were big. Like now y'all are like malls, roll your eyes, whatever. Nick from Young and the Restless was coming to the Macon Mall. Yes, okay. coming to the Macon Mall. And, um, and so they needed me to go interview him. And I was like, 
oh, sure. And so I'll go. He's really cute, but I didn't watch Young and the Restless, but my, my grandmother, not the yes, one I lived did. with, <laughs> but the one who lived in Unadilla, Georgia, when I'd go spend a week with her in the summers, we watched Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. So I picked up the phone. I was like, Mimi, fill me in. I don't know what's going on in the Young and the Restless. She's like, hold on, and just filled me in. So, I got the whole scoop. Because, y'all, this was like pre-internet. I had no way yeah, to research right. the Young and the Restless plot And line. it wasn't ending encyclopedia. Like, no, I mean, I didn't look know. It up so at the like, library. what does Nick do? What and, um, anyway, so that's the kind of stuff I did. I got to, you know, write fun articles about different things. It was just, you know, silly yeah. stuff. But it was that's good. Really neat. It was fun. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you, you finished high school mm-hmm. in, in the Christian school. Yes. And you went on to college. Went on to college. So thought forever I was going to Boston. That was my dream. I am headed to Boston. Um, this, you know, Southern girl, but I was going. And I got into Boston University, but fortunately they weren't as impressed with me as I was with myself. And so I did not get some stellar scholarship package. And it was expensive. And my parents were like, oh, no, we can't do that. So all of a sudden I'm scrambling because I'm thinking, wait, I was going to be you. Like, what? What do I do that now? And so that was the dream. And so I had um, applied to Queens in Charlotte, a small school, and they, you know, had accepted me and had given me a nice financial aid package. And I thought, well, guess I'm going to Charlotte. Yeah. So I sight unseen. It was a girls' school. Well, almost. I mean, okay. it had been an all women, all women's, women's college. Just call it correct. Girls. Yeah. For a long time, so there weren't many guys there. Um, so it kind of felt like that, but yeah. So all of a sudden, yeah, I'm in Charlotte. Had except like, yeah, I'll go. I had not ever been to Charlotte. Hadn't seen the campus. <laughs> like what in the world? But that's where it ended up. Yeah. So that's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. So were you still like the good girl living the performance life? Yeah. There. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Just- yeah. So, you know, went to college and um, plugged into, well, I visited a couple of churches and I plugged into a church there and, um, you know, went every Sunday and because I wanted to be there. I mean, it wasn't, nobody was checking on me really. I mean, my mom would ask like, are you going to church? Like, yes. But I wanted to go to church. I mean, I loved it and I had a relationship with the Lord. So that was important to me to go to church. But a lot of it was um, because that was expected in my mind, like, oh, I'm going to church because I should go to church. And I think we can all think back to times we just did that because that was the right thing to do. It's not always a bad thing to do things right. just because even if you don't want to do it, you know, but so that's kind of where I was. Like right. I enjoyed it, but yes. what I fell into was becoming a little bit legalistic and self-righteous and, you know, I'd go in the dining hall after church and I'd be in my, I'd always wear my church clothes so that people would see like, oh, how was church today? Courtney was like, it's great. You know, like, and you're still in your pajamas. No, like, I mean, it wasn't quite that plain, but it was like, "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. so yeah, I was, um, so I had a little bit of self-righteousness there. Yeah. Um, So that was me. And you told me that you were an RA. Yes. My sophomore year, I became an RA because that just fit perfectly into my personality. That's a resident assistant. If you don't know the, the enforcer. So if you live in a dorm, you don't like RAs because they're like, what are you in the college? And she's like, mm-hmm. Wait, what is that smell coming out of your room? You can't burn a candle. Sorry. Like, what is that? Nope. You can't do that. You know, I mean, so, but 
I really loved it because I was able to kind of become a counselor. Like yeah. I set up my yeah. room and people would come in and chat with me about their problems. I'm like, this is fabulous. And so um, <laughs> I just, I loved it. Like I had a little board outside, like you'd have, I'd have to put when I'd be in my room. Little so they office could hours come at talk. your yeah, room. Like yeah. they could come talk to me and I would just, you know, play like weird Enya, you know, that's cool in the nineties. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. let's talk. And so I did such a good job that I was RA of the year, my sophomore year, which had yes. never happened. Yes. Never happened before. But then we have to take it to the next level. And they were like, can you be our alcohol awareness chair? Oh yes, I can. I can take that to the next level. So, so yes, we did. I did that too, to, you know, show the dangers of alcohol consumption. I will take that on. Yes. So that and so was that, me. Yeah. that comes back into the story because um, my next question is, were there, was there a boy? No, no, because I did not have time for that. I had three part-time jobs and no, I had plans and it did not involve a male Mm-mm. because nobody was, you know, going to fit in those plans. Now, I mean, I thought boys were cute, but I just thought, yeah, there's always this, there's always that. Like, there was never a boyfriend. Y'all, I didn't even go to the prom. Like, I kind of got the reputation of being the ice queen a little bit, you know, just, but it was just guarding myself, you know, like, I'm going to keep everybody at a distance. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, so I had not really been to a dance. I hadn't really done anything because I just kind of kept everybody arm's length. And um, so, yeah, that's where I was in college until the end of my sophomore year. Yeah, at some point, some some special person comes into your life. <laughs> yes. So the end of my sophomore year, so my best friend in college um, was a year older than me. And she was from Beckley, West Virginia, and her boyfriend was too. And so he attended the University of Kentucky. And, of course, she and I were at Queens together. And for her birthday in April of um, 1997, <laughs> He, um, her boyfriend came down to celebrate her 21st birthday. So um, his roommate came with him and just because, you know, just like, oh, you know how in college yeah. you do road trips. Oh, drive seven hours. No big deal. Let's go. You know, now I think about a road trip and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to do all this planning. Then it's like throw in a duffel bag and let's go for the weekend. But so that's what they did. And they came to Charlotte. And so my friend said, because I was a rule follower and she was not, it was funny that we were really good friends because she was not wild at all. I mean, she just had a lot more Mm -hmm. fun than I did, frankly, but, um, you know, but she still loved me, but like she was president of sorority and all that. And I'm like, you know, over there writing up people. And Miss Alcohol Awareness RA. I know, like, mm -mm, writing up people. So yeah, that's me. And so, um, but we were great friends and I love her. And so anyway, her boyfriend's roommate and best friend in college was Adam Neal. And so um, I, Stacy, my friend in college said, all right, we're gonna be going just to some restaurants and stuff. Like, will you just drive all of us around? Cause I mean, well, and I was 19 still. So I was like really young, but you know, like, oh yeah, I will because I'm not participating in anything, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, you're safe with me. I yeah. know. So I drove everybody around that night. And so uh, that's how Adam and I met. Um, but, and then we just hung out that weekend, but I didn't think anything about it because I frankly had a crush on another guy, but I, I mean, you know, and I did mention that to him and he was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But he lives seven hours away. So I just thought this was like, oh, nice to meet you and bye, have a good trip home. 
<laughs> so that's how we started. Yeah. yeah. But um, so that was in April of 97. Um, that summer after that was kind of a, a tough summer, not because anything external was happening, but just, I don't know, I just kind of had this, it was, you know, turned 20 and I was evaluating, like, what am I going to do with my life? It's just that point where I had to get serious about a major. And, um, and so I went back to school and um, in September, my friend Stacy and I went out for coffee and she said, hey, I need to ask you something. I said, well, what? She said, will you come to the um, Sigma Phi Epsilon Formal in November? And I said, why would I be a third wheel? Like, in I Kentucky? Thought, no, well, no, it was in, oh, okay. in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Of all, I was like, seriously? No, I'm not coming with you and Jeff. That's weird. And she was like, no, dummy. If Adam calls you and asks you, will you go? And I was like, wait, Adam who? What? And so I made a joke, and this is, I've said this to him before, I was like, oh, he must have already like, dated all the girls in Kentucky if he's having to reach out in North Carolina now or something. And she was like, no, he thought you were cute, blah, blah, blah. And so I was just like, oh, this seems weird. I don't know. But um, I just thought, you know what? It was like not a Courtney moment. I was like, sure, let's go. I mean, because I was going with her. I wasn't going by myself, but I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. So anyway, um, fast forward to November. We went um, to the formal and it was terrible. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was very uncomfortable. Because, I know that's just awful. I mean, y'all know, obviously ended up fine because I'm married to him, but it was not like, I was not a great date, I'm sure, because I was like, very uncomfortable. Like everybody's having fun and this makes me uncomfortable. So like, <laughs> so, anyway, um, so I, the end of the, like the end of the weekend, Adam's like, I can tell you didn't really have much fun. I was like, no, not really. But thank you for inviting me. Like, sorry, I probably ruined your senior year fraternity formal, but yeah. there, glad you invited me. No, I mean, it was cordial. It's fine. And I will say, like, we really connected on very nerdy things. Like, I just interviewed Steve Forbes for the school newspaper because I was awesome. Tim Russert. I mean, he was like, oh, he was impressed by all that. And um, it not is many guys would be impressed by interviewing political figures, but he engaged with me about that because he loved that stuff. So, um, so anyway, that was a Sunday, and Stacey and I drove back, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry it didn't work. I was like, that's fine. I'm just, you know, whatever. No big deal. He was a nice guy, but we didn't really connect. And so um, Tuesday, and by the way, I worked in the post office at school, so I knew everybody's <laughs> business, too, because, you know, like mail. And so that's where flowers get delivered. So this bouquet came in on Tuesday. It was all these daisies, and I was like, oh, that's sweet. Somebody got flowers. And I saw my name. I'm like, whoa, hold on. What? Who's sending me flowers? Like, that's weird. It's amazing. I know. And so I opened the card, and, and it was just, I'm saying, thank you for coming for the weekend. I'm sorry you didn't have fun or something like that. I was like, oh, my God. So I thought, my mom would kill me if I didn't at least write him a thank you note. So I wrote him a thank you note for the thank you flowers, whatever. <laughs> So I wrote a note, you know, and so then he called me a few days later. It was like, hey, you know, so we just, we talked and it was a little awkward, but I was like, hey, and y'all, this is before cell phones, so I had my landline. And um, so anyway, he called me back the next week and it became a thing. Every Tuesday, he started calling me and it was, of wow. course, after 9 p.m. because that's when rates were cheaper and that's how old I am, but... 
um, and my phone would ring. And I started to really look forward to our Tuesday phone calls. I kept a little notepad by my phone where I would write down things that would happen during the week to tell them, like, oh, I need to tell them this happened or I need to tell them that happened because I couldn't text. I don't know. You know, it's I like, just I think just, that's so, like, Girls today, like they're, they're never going to know the anticipation no of like waiting to hear yes. from somebody or like the, I know. Um, yeah. Like, what am I going to say when he calls? I and know. These are the things that you I kept know. a list. I kept a list and our phone calls went from like 20 minutes to 40 minutes to like three hours, you know, like, oh gosh. So, um, yeah. So then um, in February, it was like the end of January, I guess we realized we're like, oh, we kind of like each other, I think. And that was weird for me. I'm like, oh, maybe I like somebody. This is strange. So I never really dated anybody before. And so um, Jeff was coming for Valentine's Day to see his girlfriend. And Adam said, do you mind if I ride with Jeff? And um, I can, you know, I was like, okay, sure. So he came and visited and we went with a big group to see the wedding singer and hang out. And he brought me... (laughs) Yoo-hoo's and Skittles and a fraternity t-shirt, you know, oh, the way to girls' yeah. heart. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite stuff. So I was like, I got a fraternity t-shirt. Like, we must be practically married now. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Let me wear his letters. Oh. So um, anyway, that was, yeah. So that's kind of when we really that's the beginning. started yeah. dating. You know, yeah. Like, oh. Yep. So, so yeah, um, got married. And God eventually brought y'all to Columbia yes. and to Shandon. Yes, exactly. So we um, ended up in Columbia. I mean, both of us were, well, neither of us had family here at all. So this was not on our radar, but God brought us here with a job. And so we moved here and we came to Shandon our second week, I think. I didn't know anybody and came to a newlyweds class. And um, some of my newlyweds people are in here tonight. They're my friends. And um, just, yes, that's right. Like Patty Lincoln's graduates, right? Yeah. So, um, and she was an awesome newlyweds Sunday school teacher. But just, you just, we just gelled. You know, a lot of us just became really good friends, had babies together, and, you know, just kind of went through life together. Mm -hmm. And so when we came to Shandon, that's when I feel like our faith just really started to take off. Yeah, yeah. So. And you had two girls. Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, Carson and then Callie came along three years later. Yeah. So, so life's pretty great. Um, yeah. What were y'all, you know, you're, you're raising your girls, kind of what's going on in, at this time? Yeah. So I, um, before I had um, Carson, I was in fundraising. So worked um, at Washington and Lee when he was in law school and then came down here and worked at Columbia College. So uh, yes, there you go. Go koalas, right? Um, yes, I was the director of annual giving there and then had Carson and decided to stay home. So I, um, I really, everything I do, you know, just go all in. So I really wanted to be a devoted mother. And so did all the, the stuff, you know, Jim classes and the park day, the play dates and all of that. Um, and then Callie came along and then we had to decide about what are we going to do for school, you know, for kindergarten person. And the Lord just put on our hearts to homeschool, which was kind of interesting because I don't like if you would have told me in the beginning, that's what path we would take. Again, another, whoop, you know, yeah. turn. But yeah, so ended up homeschooling um, both girls through fourth grade. Yeah. Um, 
So they kind of got sick of me by third grade and were like, can we go to school? I'm like, no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe another year. So by fifth grade, they each independently started school at yeah. Ben Lippin. Yeah. And this, this might embarrass them. That's not the intent. But <laughs> from the outside looking in at your family, your girls are very obedient, very sweet, very polite. Um, it's just a really nice looking family, like things looked easy mm-hmm. for the Neals. <laughs> like these, these girls are, they don't wrestle um, on the carpet like my boys no. do and mm-hmm. things like that. No. Um, but you said that you felt unsettled yes. when you were giving baby items away because that, that was the, the sign that you were done mm-hmm. with the baby right. season of life. Yes, that's true. So when I think, so I'd always thought we would have a third and I didn't really love being pregnant. I mean, I love the end result, but, you know, some people love being pregnant. I did not enjoy it. Um, but I just thought, you know, I will we'll have a third. Like, we will. But then, you know, just came around Cali, got a little bit older and a little bit older, and we just didn't go for it. You know, we're like, oh, this is our life, and this is mm-hmm. the way it's going to be, and we have two great girls, and everything's just marching along. And Two feels not easy. It's never easy to have any children, but it just felt very nice and, like you said, tidy, and it just fit. You know, you can get a hotel room, no problem, right? You get a car, no problem. Um, you add the extra children, and it becomes like, oh, you're not so easy to accommodate. Like on amusement park rides, everybody's got a partner, everybody's got a friend. So yeah, that um, that was our life, and we love Disney World, and we love to travel, and um, you know, with homeschooling, we could do some of that. So. But I remember um, when Callie was about five, probably, maybe six, I had all these baby clothes. And I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you know something's coming to an end or you feel like it is. And there's a grieving. Even though you know that it's good and it's like time to move on, no matter what it is, it's a weird feeling. So putting all those baby clothes and saying, oh, I guess I'm going to give these away because you start to have the memories and it's like, oh, I remember, oh, they were so cute, you know, but it's like, no, I can't hang on to all the stuff. I don't have room and it's silly. Somebody else could use this. So, but I just kind of felt like, oh, this just doesn't feel right. But I don't know. It's just a weird tension in my heart that I wasn't done, but I just, Adam wasn't interested in, in having another mm-hmm. one. So I just needed to let it go at that point. And through this, you know, through your life, you've, mm-hmm. you've said you've kind of avoided risk and avoided hurt right. and um, heartache. And God would kind of send you off and, and, and veer you to places that were unexpected to, right. to show what his plans were. Um, so when did you and Adam first, talk, first start talking about adoption? We had talked about it a long time ago. It was very theoretical, though, just, oh, you know, adoption's great, and, oh, we should pursue that someday. But, again, it was just something we talked about but didn't really strongly consider. And then probably about 10 years ago, maybe 9, 10 years ago, Adam's cousin and his wife, who actually um, live in Anderson, um, adopted a little girl through DSS. They had two boys, and they adopted this sweet little girl, and they got her when she was 10 months old. And so we saw Emmy come into their family, and we knew it wasn't easy, but just watched that progression and thought, oh, that's really neat, because I'd always thought of adoption as being really difficult and expensive and overwhelming, and Mm -hmm. I'd say 
two of the three of those are probably true anyway, but the expensive art, I mean, she's, they said no through DSS, it's free pretty much, you know, you can adopt, um, I mean, they have these children ready and they cover the cost, so I thought, well, okay, so it just seemed like something we maybe should consider, but again, that was years ago and it just didn't happen and didn't happen, and I, um, probably about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I taught a women's, young women's Bible study for girls in their 20s. Some of them are here, and now they're out of their 20s, and they have children, right? Yep. So, and, or they're just here hanging out with me, so I appreciate y'all coming out. But um, I remember saying to them, and they may not remember this, but I remember sitting there, because it was right about the time I was packing away the baby clothes, and I said, girls, the one thing you have to remember is that, you know, that verse that sometimes people twist, like, God will give you the desires of your heart. And sometimes people think, well, that means that God's going to bend to me. And I said, I have to realize that I do have a desire for another child, but right now my husband doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so either God's going to have to change my heart or he's going to have to change Adam's heart. But whatever happens, I've just got to be quiet about it and just pray about it and let God do the work. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit's job. I don't need to be, you know, like the verse in Proverbs, like a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. And Maybe I I'll just, like cringe when we hear I it. feel like, yeah, I had several friends say that to me, remind me of that verse. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, okay. So I just let it go. I'm like, I'm not bringing up adoption or a third kid at all. And you know what? God's going to settle my heart. How and long did it take you to get there though? How much, how much nagging did you do? Oh, I you? didn't do a ton because I know better than that. But I mean, if you know Adam, he's pretty strong-willed. So we were not, you when know, I was not going to be nagging him a whole lot. But I would bring it up and be like, not now, not now. But, um you know, I just really prayed about it. And I was settled. Like, I was really okay with it. And I thought, I have a great family. We get to do fun stuff. Like, this is a great life. Why do I want to mess this up? And because that's what I was thinking. Like, if I push this, am I going to mess it up? Because there's always that uncertainty. So what what gave you that desire? Like, why did you want to mess it up? Well, so I really had been listening to a lot of sermons and just reading the Bible about, you know, that verse about carrying this cross. And like that, I was just thinking about what does it mean to hate your mother and your brother and your, like turn your back on your children. Like, it seems so extreme. Like what? That's awful, Jesus. Why would you tell people to do that? Well, then when I really started digging, it doesn't mean, of course, that you literally hate your mom or your dad or your, you know, brother. You don't hate them. You just, if, if there, if anything that's in your life is holding you back, from following Jesus, you just got to let it go. And I was just getting this stirring. Like I'm, I have a very kind of American view of Christianity that Mm -hmm. I'm valuing my comfort more than obedience. And I just, I don't know. It's just that tension in my heart. Like I know I'm not called to go on the mission field. I know God's not calling me to do something extreme, but this is just pulling on me. Like I've got to do something big and I couldn't figure out what it was, but I just felt like adoption was it for us. But Adam wasn't there yet. And that's hard when your husband's not there and he's also following the Lord. So you're like, am I hearing this right or not? So yeah. Yeah. And he was following the Lord. Right. It's not like he was far from the Lord and you're close to the Lord. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So the change came, um, I guess it was about five years ago. We were sitting watching TV one night, and the girls had gone to bed, and it was like 9 o'clock at night or something. We were just sitting there, and all of a sudden, Adam looks at me and said, 
hey, you know, we're not getting any younger. If we're going to do this adoption thing, we probably ought to do something. I'm like, wait, whoa, what? Like what? I mean, out of the blue. And I'm like, what? And I said, hold on. You know, so I'm like pulling up like, oh, who you need to call hey, tomorrow? I have so, all my files ready. Like, like, hang on a minute. Kind of. I mean, so the next day, I actually said, do I have permission to call and inquire about this? And he was like, yeah, I guess so. Sure. So next day I was calling and they're like, just, yes. you know, heartfelt calling this DSS branch and they might be here tonight. Um, so, you know, I called and of course they're probably used to these like excited women like, adopt a kid, you know, and they're like, okay, great. Well, here you go. Get ready for this wild ride. And, um, you know, I'm so naive. And so we're going to send you the packet and like, great. And so I got the packet and I was like, oh my goodness, you want my blood type? Like my cholesterol levels? I mean, really like this is extreme. Like what in the world? And so, um, I have to go through all this training. Like, don't you want people like me? Like we, mm. I am good. Like you don't you, I'm a good mom. Like you give me all the children. <laughs> no. Um, but no, in my mind though, I'm like, we have two girls. I want just one little boy mm. and I, that will just round out our little family, mm. two daughters and a son, and they can dote on him and it will be perfect. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this process, mm-hmm. um, what did that look like and how, how was that for your family? Yeah. So so we got the packet in September. We went to our first training meeting in December. And Adam and I left and we're like, gosh, we feel like criminals. I mean, because they really scared us, you know, a little bit. But they were trying to weed out people who weren't serious about it. And so, um, but we just both thought, you know, this is what God's calling us to. Let's just keep going. Just keep going. And so, you know, we just kept filling out more paperwork. And then that you have visits and um doctor's visits and, you know, everything you have to go through. It just felt like a lot. But I just thought, all right, if we're going to be obedient, we're going to do this. But then we got approved, and it was after they interviewed our children. Um, they just asked really invasive questions, and I thought, oh, what are we doing? Like, because I really, we started having second thoughts because we really got concerned that are we messing up our girls like are we introducing things and are we going to introduce things into our home that are going to hurt them or cause disruption in our life and that started you know as a mom I got nervous about that because you start checking off boxes like would you want a child who had um, sexual trauma I'm like oh whoa okay no you know whatever but there's so many things and um and then you realize like, every child who is in the system has experienced some kind of trauma. trauma. And so you start going through it and your heart starts breaking for these children. And it's like God's just mm-hmm. getting you ready for what's to come. Mm-hmm. And so by the, by the end of it, um, you know, we were tired and kind of worn down. But we thought, okay, we want to do this. And so we got approved. And then we waited and waited mm. and waited. And we felt like we waited. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a tough so time as you're waiting. waiting and you've had, like, some doubt and, mm-hmm. and now you're just in this season of just mm-hmm. waiting. And you still want a child, one boy. Yes, one boy. Um, had, the, had the Lord meet you there and how did you pray? Well, you know, at the time I really, when we started the process, I started praying specifically for this child. And I said, I don't know what he's in right now, but it's not good. Because Mm -hmm. if this child is going to end up pulled out of his biological home, something bad is going to happen to him. And so I just really pray protection over him. And 
I didn't know if he was in the womb. I didn't know if he was, you know, in a home, you know, two, three, four, five. I didn't know. And so I just started really praying specifically for this child. Um, And so when you go through this process through DSS, there's a time period where you kind of have to redo everything or almost everything if you haven't been picked. And we got to the end of that and they said, oh, we've got to redo everything because you haven't been picked yet. I was like, are you serious? Uh, no. I mean, like every vacation I would have to say, well, we need an extra room, you know, bigger room because uh, it might, might get a call and I don't want to exclude the new boy, you know. And so it was just living life in limbo for years, it felt like. Um, it was a couple of years. And so they, my, our caseworker emailed us and said, hey, it's time to redo everything. And I, we were so mad and so upset. I said, Adam, we're done. I'm tired of living in limbo. I'm not doing this anymore. And he said, no, I agree. This is ridiculous. We're not doing this anymore. We've done everything they've asked us to do. And maybe God just wanted to see that we were being obedient and we're just going to be done. And so I sent off an email to our caseworker and I said, thank you very much, but we are done. You can close our case. Mm. And she wrote back the next day and said, please don't do that. Like, don't tell me to do that. I want you to meet with our super, my supervisor. Oh, okay. Like, sure, we'll do that. I mean, I just thought this is weird, but okay. So just to kind of speed it up, we ended up meeting a couple weeks later with the supervisor to our caseworker, and they were very vague and kind of hedging around, but they said, um, would you, we can't say much, but you know, would you be open to more than one child? And I'm like, uh, no, because that is not fit in my plan. Like I said, one boy, one boy. I just bought a car that would accommodate one extra child. Like, no. We had one guest room, and it was not that big. And no, one, one. That's what I said. And she said, Courtney, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't open your heart to more than one child, you will not get picked. Because these are sibling groups who have been taken out of their home. And they need to be together. We're not going to split them up. And it is very rare that there's one child available Um, and if it is, it's usually an older child. And I know you don't want a boy that's older than your girl. So this is really your best shot. But she was very vague. Like she didn't say, oh, you're picked. It was more like, would you consider it? Well, Adam said, I think we need to say yes to considering. And I was like, you know, like, I was never a four kid mom. Like, no, that is not me at all. Like that's superwoman. That is not me. Like that would interfere with my life greatly, greatly. Four kids. No. And so, um, and it actually, at that point, funny enough, we had decided, this is the time that Callie was about to go to school. So for the first time in like 13 years, I was looking at not having children at home and actually being able to go to lunch, like with a girlfriend without a kid in tow. And I was like, and people were like, are you so excited? I'm like, yes, I'm excited. And then this happened, and they're like, maybe two. We may have two boys. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so we talked to the supervisor, and, and they said, um, just consider it. There's a selection committee. Um, you might get picked. You might not. We don't know. So this was at the end of May of 2017 and I said we're about to go on a vacation and this was going to be like my dream vacation it was going to be over my 40th birthday I had planned it because I love New England remember I wanted to go to Boston well we were going to Boston and Maine and Quebec and we're going to be gone 11 days and it was like our dream trip with your girls who were ages that were easy yes we could actually go kayaking in the ocean because they were old enough finally right and so we didn't have little kids in tow it was great 
And so, you know, we could rent a Camry and not a minivan. Like, it was great. It was easy when we're up there. So, um, so we go on the trip, and I'm nervous. Like, I mean, I'm enjoying the trip, but all I could think was, are we going to get a call? Are we going to get a call? We did not get a call. So I came home, and I'm trying not to think about it. And I called, of course. Like, it had been about two and a half, three weeks. And um, our caseworker said, yeah, I didn't call you because actually another family got picked ahead of y'all for these two little boys that they didn't really tell us much about. It was just two boys, right? So I was like, okay. And I actually felt a little bit of relief, mm-hmm. like, oh, all right, God, thank you. You know, whoa, all right, you saved me from that one. Now we can really say, well, we did our best and tried. You know, we tried. <laughs> um, but they didn't pick us. So I was like, all right, well. And so about another week passed. And um, I said this if you saw the video this morning. So it was Vacation Bible School Week here at Shandon. And it was, um, like a, I think it was Tuesday afternoon of VBS week. So the fatigue had not set in yet. You teachers know what I'm talking about. Um, but I was, you know, I answered my phone. I didn't, I, the caller ID didn't tell me who it was. So, and she said, you have, she just said, you have two little boys. And I was like. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, hang on a minute. Then I realized, wait, wait. I said, who is this? And she said, it's Julie. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, so anyway, she said the other family did not end up picking these boys. And so we're wondering if y'all would consider them. And of course, my first question, because I know y'all are all thinking it, why did they not pick why? these boys, right? <laughs> okay, it was a pretty good answer. They said they already have kids about the same age and they just thought it was too much. So I was like, okay, so there's not some like creepy monster in the closet that I'm like, oh, you know. Well, I didn't know how old they were or anything. Like, it's just brothers. Okay. So, I mean, I knew what we'd put on our paper, but, um, you know, I just, again, my one boy, now I'm like, maybe two. I don't know. Um, So she said, I really want this to move along quickly. So could you and Adam come in on Friday? So it was two and a half days. Like, okay. So I went on Friday morning. And so when you sit there, they basically pull out this file and the caseworker, the boy's caseworker and our caseworker have to take turns reading everything about them. And so it was 13 pages of information. Now, I want you to try to think about your own children, like how clinical that sounds when like, okay, so this child has this and this and this, and they're kind of laying out all the bad things that have happened to them, why they got Mm -hmm. taken out of their home, and all the medical things that could go wrong or that had gone wrong or whatever. And you're listening to this, you're thinking, okay, sure. You know, and it wasn't anything really bad at all, but you're just sitting there trying to take it in thinking, this seems surreal. They wouldn't tell us much about them, you know, in terms of like their, what they looked like or anything, because they saved that for the end. So, they, they went through all this, and I'm feeling nervous. And they're like, now, would you like to see a picture of them? And I'm like, sure, you know. And so we're sitting there, and they slide this little picture across the table. And Adam and I were both like, oh, they're so cute. You know, of course, they get you, and they're like, they are really cute. And they were two and a half and four and a half, so I'm like, they're smiling together. And then they tell this story about... You know, they are in separate foster homes, but they get together once a month. Their caseworker mm. will pick them up from their separate daycares, and she takes them to Wendy's or McDonald's, which is what they love. So this was on one of their visits. The caseworker had taken a picture of them, and they were together, and they were smiling, and they had their Wendy's. And mm. I still have that. I mean, of course, I have that picture, but that was the moment. And I was like, this is weird. Like, these could be our children. It just felt like a weird way to meet your, mm-hmm. see your children, right? They were really cute, but we're like, okay, we're not going to get emotional because they're cute. And so they gave us this big binder. 
And we had some sweet friends who, like our friend Rachel Richards, who was a speech pathologist, she looked at everything for us, um, had a you know, our pediatrician had a child psychiatrist. Everybody looked, you know, our friends looked at this for us and just to make sure that we weren't missing anything. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a red flag because, um, you know, we just didn't want to be surprised. But every kid who is in the system has experienced trauma, as I said earlier. So it, you know there's going to be problems. You just don't really know to what extent. And so they said, all right, if you're interested in meeting them, and then we'll set up a play date. And we want you to meet them sooner rather than later. Like, how about next week? Well, I was like, well, shoot, that's like the week of our extended family beach vacation. And Polly Beach was like, well, you need to meet them right away because their parental rights have been terminated. Mm. And they are basically, I mean, they didn't say it this way, but I mean, they belong to the government right now. They need a home. Like, help them. And basically, they're like, help them out. Like, fine, we'll, we'll come. So left my girls with my mom and stepdad and all extended family um, for a day. And Adam and I went back to Columbia. And I remember sitting in Citadel Park. And it was weird because I'd spent so many play dates there with my own girls. And mm. I was just, we're sitting there on the swing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a you know, government car rolls up. You see these two little heads popping up, looking around. And all they were told is, um, boys, you're going to meet some new friends today. So that's what we were. They're friends who would play with them. And they were just loved anybody, right? So we pushed them on the swing. We played with them. And the caseworkers sat and watched us for about 30 or 45 minutes. And they finally, and it felt weird. I'm like, who are mm-hmm. these children I'm playing with? Mm-hmm. And they didn't, this is like, talk about like hidden sin, my pride kicked in. They didn't look like they would belong to me because the way they were dressed, their hair was very messy, um, dirty fingernails. Um, you know, they just didn't fit with us. Um, but, and then, you know, we're in forest acres at Citadel Park and I'm like, Ooh, you know, race preppy and cute. And ah, I'm sitting here, you know, and it was just a weird feeling, but it was like the Lord saying, all right, this is the first step we're doing. So she said, they said, do you want to take him for the day? We're like, what? Okay, sure. We can just take them. Oh, 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 yeah. So she said, here are the car seats, take them. And so we went to Chick-fil-A, and then we went to the zoo. Mm. And we just spent the day together, and then they came, and we went back to the DSS office on Two Notch. And um, they were like, oh, that was fun, you know. And so, um, and I, I won't go off, off on a bunny trail about this, but when I would have to go in that DSS office, I'll tell you what, like that's when the uncomfortable really started because I would see these foster children who were waiting for their parents with their sweet caseworkers and parents wouldn't show up and they, the kids would be so disappointed because it's the one time in the month that their parents are supposed to, they're supposed to see their parents and they wouldn't come. And so there's crying or just anticipation and, I just saw the worst, you know, the worst things. And I just thought, oh, Lord, like just the little pricks in my heart. Like, what have I been doing with my life? Like, I, this is going on not far from me. And I'm worried about having an extra seat in my car. Like, oh, I just felt like God just was shaping me at that point. And so fast forward a couple of weeks later, they started spending the night with us and um, they like, just think about your own children being two and four and being plopped in somebody else's home and like, oh, you're going to spend the night here and good luck, bye, you know, and they came with a little bag and the, their foster moms had packed and um, 
So we'd hang out and we'd try to do things, but I hadn't had little kids in a while. And so, you know, we tried to make it fun, but it was exhausting because they were really poorly behaved. They were really bad, like crazy acting. But part of it was they were kids from trauma and also they didn't know us, you know? And so they just would be kind of wild and crazy. And I could tell my girls were getting worn down and I was getting worn down, but we, um, and then they would go back to their foster homes. And so fast forward about three or four weeks later and they said, okay, we're ready for them to stay with y'all for good. Do you, are you ready? We're like, I guess so. So it, it is heartbreaking when a child comes to your home and sometimes they come with garbage bags with stuff. Um, sometimes they come with nothing. Um, my boys kind of had different experiences in their foster home. One came with very little, like some broken toys and some clothes that didn't really fit well. Um, another one came with a lot of stuff, you know, and um, he was seemed very well cared for. But, um, yeah, so all of a sudden, I'm like, my house felt like it was an upheaval. I had stuff everywhere, and these boys were running wild and crazy. And I was like, oh, what have I done? So, yeah. Um, and then the school year started and Carson and Callie were like, peace out. Like, thank goodness school is starting because it was crazy in our house. So, so how yeah. long from the time that they came to live with you until you adopted them? It was pretty fast. So they came in August and they were ours um, in December because their parental rights had already been terminated. So we just kind of, they had to make sure, DSS had to make sure it was a good fit mm-hmm. for them and for us. Um, but, um, yeah, so they just, they moved it along really quickly. And I will say, in the meantime, I realized that they needed to be probably in preschools or kind of more for my sake than theirs. But, but then I realized, like, oh, wait a minute, we've got both girls going to Ben Levin, and then we've got two needy at a preschool. And I called um, sweet Jenny Jameson, and she's director of weekday here, and I said, do you have any jobs available? Because I, we're, we've got two little boys and I need them to be in preschool, but I, 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 we can't, you know, like this is a lot of money to be paying for everybody. She's like, I have a job opening. You've been homeschooling, so you have some experience. Let's talk about this. So all of a sudden I was a preschool teacher with two mm-hmm. little boys, but I will tell you that was, that was such a gift mm-hmm. to be here because it connected me with some young moms um, who, you know, I'd kind of been out of that world for a little while and they were, I mean, my weekday friends were so gracious. I felt like I came in like a deer in headlights every day, like, bah! you know, running in cause the boys were always run, run, run ahead of me. And, um, they were just always so sweet and kind and understanding and would help me so much with them. So, so how were you during, oh, I was a mess. I mean, on the outside, you say, oh, everything looked good. And people would say, like, you make it look so easy. You're transitioning so well. Yes, but nobody knew that I would leave weekday and I would call Adam at work, poor thing, trying to work. And I'd, like, break down in tears, like, I can't do this. This is too hard. And, you know, Thomas was awful today. And he embarrassed me. And I went to the grocery store and they were awful. And I want to wear a T-shirt that says, I just got them, you know, because, like, (laughs) I did. I actually said that. I want a teacher that says, I just got them. Because I was like so performance driven. My girls were just, you know, and then I got boys who were like, you know, the whole time and punching each other and going, fart, butt, fart, butt. And I'm like, "Ah," you know, so it was awful. But I mean, the thing is like, that was kind of performance, whatever. But also though, they were not sleeping, which meant I was not sleeping. And I was 
a mess. And I went into, I would say looking back now, I didn't realize at the time, but I would say probably some depression um, where I would have to, every morning when I'd wake up, I would have a pep talk with God. I was like, all right, Lord. And I really like it. This became something I would do every day. I'd say, I'm doing this because I love you and I want to obey you, but this is hard. And then I would take a deep breath and then I would get up and go, but it didn't feel easy. It didn't feel good. I didn't love, um, you know, I didn't love what was happening to my life. I just felt like I had wrecked it in a way. Like, what have I done? This is awful. And, but everybody was like, oh, they're so cute and sweet. But I'm like, but this feels hard and horrible. And, um, and I, I, and I felt guilty about that because I thought, what's wrong with me? Like, there are people who would just effortlessly stream into this and just be great parents and think this is the biggest blessing. And I want to take them back because this is too hard for me. And I remember Adam saying, well, what is the alternative? Like, do we take them back? And I said, <laughs> well, no, we're not taking them back. I'm not going to be that woman. Like, I can't face people like, well, we're returning the foster children. Like, I couldn't handle them. I mean, you know, no. But I wanted to. I wanted to. It was so hard. Every day was so hard. And I, I couldn't even, like, pick up the phone and talk to people. I felt like I could hardly keep my house clean. Did you feel like you could tell people, this is hard? I mean, yeah, some people. But it, it felt selfish to say, I am struggling. This feels really tough. Because people would say, didn't you want this? Like, yes, no, I don't want it anymore. Like, I just want a break. And the problem is I had so much pride that I wouldn't let people help. And so when people were offering before I really got into it, I was like, no, we don't need meals. We're good. We don't need, but, um, <laughs> but I'm telling you, looking back, we needed so much and I turned it down and I wish I hadn't. Mm-hmm. So I say that if you see somebody who's going through it, just go ahead and show up because mm-hmm. I'll give a shout out to my girl, Ellen. So Ellen Parker, I had the boys about a week and a half and she came over and just showed up with like Trader Joe's groceries and was like, this is all freezer stuff. Like you just make it really easily, whatever. And so she sat down on the den with me. She's like, how are you doing? And I was like, bah! you know, fell apart. And Ellen's never Ellen will seen do me. that to you. Yeah. If she just asked the question, yeah. you'll, you'll and fall I was apart. Like, I'm not a crier. And I just crumbled. And she, I think it kind of weirded her out. She's like, oh, oh. So she came and sat by me on the couch. And I was like, in my workout clothes, I probably smelled bad. I was like, oh. And she just hugged me. I was like, it's going to be okay. And sweet Drew, her son, who I think he was like 15 at the time, like she said, Drew, take him out back. Go play with him. Go throw balls with him or whatever. And so, you know, she just showed up and I had other friends who did. I don't want to exclude others, like just showed up, like sent stuff that I registered on Amazon, like, whoa, the comforters are here. Like the books are here. And like, it was just amazing to see how like God showed up with just people mm-hmm. and the things we needed. Um, and how so, did he yeah. like meet you in your heart in those moments or in that morning, in the morning when you're giving yourself that pep talk and saying, this is, this is obedience every day. Yeah. Um, how did you see his goodness? Well, you know, I, I learned to lean into him in a way I hadn't before. And the turning point for me was when I thought, I don't want people to look at me anymore and say, oh, isn't Courtney good? Mm-hmm. I wanted people to look at me and say, isn't God good? Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I felt like it just got turned around for me. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about him. Mm-hmm. And I thought carrying this cross is hard. It's still hard. I mean, you know, there's, it's a lot easier than it was a couple of years ago, a lot easier, but it's not, 
it's never a cakewalk at all because we still, um, you know, we had to go to therapy. I mean, I had to, I have to take Thomas to therapy some just so he can talk through things with a counselor because he's remembering things he went through and speech therapy and, you know, just all these things I hadn't really had to do before and sitting in a Medicaid office. I'd never had to do that. And I felt like a fish out of water sitting there, but you know, you, when you adopt through foster care, like my boys, sorry, keep doing it. My boys, um, you know, when they're in foster care, they had Medicaid and I had to sit in the office and um, fill out the paperwork. And I was just like, Ooh, God, you were taking me places I've never been. And it doesn't feel good. But he was there and he just said, just be obedient and I will meet you there. And again, it didn't feel easy and it didn't feel comfortable, but I saw where Adam and I grew closer together because we were going grown closer to the Lord because we were so desperate. I mean, we just were almost like crawling emotionally from one day to the next. I mean, and he felt guilty, I think as the husband that he said, I feel like I brought this into our home. Like I allowed this into our home, but you know, we knew this what God called us to. And one thing I wanted to mention, and I told Aaron this, and I'm glad I just thought of this. Um, Going back to being, you know, a nagging wife, one of the reasons you want your spouse to be on board with you for something like this is because when we've had hard days, and there are a lot of them, um, Adam never looked at me and said, you're the one who talked me into this, like Mm -hmm. you did this, because he knew like God called him to this. And so he was under the authority of God. And so I just want to encourage you women, if you know, you have a husband and you feel like, you know, he's following the Lord, but you feel like he's not doing what you feel called to do, just keep praying because he'll either change your heart or he'll change your husband's heart. And eventually you'll get in sync, hopefully. But that is, that was one of my biggest takeaways from all this. Like you've got to be in sync and don't, um, don't push your husband into things that you know he doesn't want to do because it will, it doesn't go well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to read this scripture from Galatians 4, 4 through 8, and it's about adoption. Um, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And I I love the picture of us. I mean, we've been adopted. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of Jesus, we are in God's family. We've been adopted. And what you and Adam have chosen to do by bringing these boys into your family, it's, there's, there's so much surrender and obedience and it's just so beautiful. And you, you, and Adam gave up so much, but I know gained so much. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're walking out this beautiful picture of, of grace and surrender. So what do you know now about surrender and the Christian life? Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't look to me like I thought it would look when I started out as, I would say, you know, a college student thinking about what it meant to be a Christian. I thought of it as 
kind of rules and, you know, God tells us not to do this, not as punishment, but like, you just check the box and do this and this and this. And now I think, wow, you know, God looks at all of us as broken children. He probably gets so frustrated with all of us, like, you know, I do with, you know, the boys who are acting crazy and wild um, at the time. But I'm like, whoa, God had so much mercy on us to send his son to die. Like, Actually, is this a good time for mm-hmm. me to read? Yes. Okay, I, there's she something. She has a quote that I, I think we have. It's not mine. It's way more articulate <laughs> than, um, than what I could say. But it's this book that I read recently, and this just articulates so well, kind of sums up what I've experienced and felt. It says, again, our faith teaches us that God bestows on us his unconditional love, that no matter where we've been Or what we do, he will love us forever and not just love us, but like us. We wanted to offer that same kind of gift to any kid who came to our home and say to them, no matter what you've done or where you've been or who your family is, we will not give up on you. Because this was done for us, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And that's from Romans 8. I'm adopted, not in the human sense, but spiritually, and I did nothing to deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't be worthy of it. I was destined for horror, and someone pulled me out. Gave me a chance at a different outcome, no strings attached. The least I can do out of my deep gratitude is let that love and unconditional acceptance overflow into the lives of those around me. So I can say now that surrender, I see my boys, how far they've come in two years, how love changes a person tremendously, how they seem like these, you know, out of control little children. Um, and I just see God shaping them and they want to like memorize scripture. And the other day Owen was asking, what does it mean to be a Christian? And of course he's little, he doesn't really understand, but these are things that God calls us to teach our children. Well, I don't know if they would have ever thought about this if we hadn't adopted them. And so I just, I feel so compelled to say if there's anybody who feels like they want to foster or adopt, like, you're, this is the ultimate gospel hospitality. You're bringing these children into your home. And, you know, even fostering, you think, well, we may have them for a short time, but you're going to leave an indelible impression on them. And you're going to show them love that only Christ can show them. Um, but if you're not called to that, that's okay, too, because certainly not everybody is. But there's a lot of things that you can do um, to help. Like my friend stepped up and showed, you know, hospitality to me and ministered to me. And that's just as important. Yeah. This is, this is something you said, I'm quoting you, um, about whether or not you were going to do this. Um, you said, we Americanize Christianity and we feel God's pull and we push it aside. God's work is still going to be done, but we're going to miss out on all the blessings. Yeah. So, um, y'all aren't, y'all aren't going to miss out on this one. <laughs> Yes, listen, I might look 10 years older than I would have before, so y'all don't judge if I have extra wrinkles. But no, I, um, I'm so glad that we followed in obedience, and it does get better. So for those, I feel like I haven't left on a high note. Now, I'm like, now, almost two and a half years in, I mean, they 
feel like our children, I, you know, even today, I just, I was like, Lord, like, whoa, little things. So the boys were sitting in service with us and Thomas is in first grade now and he's really starting to write a lot and, you know, read and write and just getting excited about things. So I looked down in his little like children's program in church and he wrote, I love my mom. Mm-hmm. I love my dad. I love Carson. Callie, sorry, you got left out, but um, <laughs> I don't know if he just couldn't spell it. But I mean, it was just so sweet that when I looked down, I thought we have come a long way from, you know, spitting on me and kicking me and screaming at me like to now he loves me and he snuggles with me. It's like he'll say, I'm he'll look at Adam sometimes when Adam will take him out and say, I'm so glad you're my dad. He didn't even know what a dad was because he had never had a dad in his life. So we had to explain when Adam was still there after a few weeks, he's like, why are you still here? Mm. And he'd say, we're married. He didn't even know what that meant. Um, and so he'll snuggle with me and say, I'm so glad you're my mom. You know, and those are just little God winks. Like, okay, we can do this. This is hard, but we can do it. You and are doing it. Yeah. Doing and we got a roof rack and we can travel now in our car. So like, <laughs> thanks to an Amazon gift card that somebody gave us as an option gift. So it was great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to yeah. ask you this question that we always ask, mm-hmm. and then we're going to close with a video. But, um, how are you like the woman at the well? Oh, well, you know, the woman at the well was working, and I feel like, just like a lot of women, always doing, 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 but not realizing that I'm the one who needed that drink. I'm the one who really needed Jesus because I thought I had it all, but I didn't. And God had to take me out of that uncomfortable or that comfortable spot and put me in a very uncomfortable spot and say, all right, now you're, you're near me. Now you're where I want you to be. And so just like the woman of the well, you know, Jesus had to call me out and, and make me a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I just feel like he is there all the time. And I just see it and, and my boys and just so excited to watch how God is going to use them and make them men of God. And my mom actually gave me this idea, but at night when I pray, I pray over them specifically. And, and God, I pray that you will help them love your word. And I pray that you'd make them mighty men of God. And so they're kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, but um, I just want to speak that truth into them every night. So, cause, and I'll probably be a mess when one of them actually accepts Christ and baptized. So y'all just will probably hear me like, Whoa! because I just have seen the progression and just the love for the Lord and just how God is using them and how God has used Adam and me, very unlikely people to hopefully motivate people to start thinking about this process. Cause you know, it's, it's not easy, but when you obey God, he provides a way. Have any of you been called for something? Maybe like Courtney, you feel called to adoption or parenthood, and it's out of your control right now, and you are waiting. Waiting is hard. I've been there before, in a very long season of waiting, and it's one of the hardest things I've ever endured. Waiting can be hopeless, and it is most definitely helpless. Waiting is out of your control. And having to wait when you feel called to something, but then told, no, not yet, It's frustrating. Why would you be called to something you cannot have? Courtney modeled this when she talked about this waiting period. Humorously, she talked about not nagging her husband. But the reality of that not nagging part of waiting and enduring so that you do not take control when it's not yours to take 
is that it is painful and agonizing. Turning over that anxiety that comes with waiting comes with intense heartache and lots of tears. God is truly the only source for the amount of patience and resolve that comes with waiting. Because truly, Courtney was able to adopt. Their call had the resolution they were hoping for, but that's not always the outcome. And once their waiting ended, even more questions began. This call of theirs that should be the picture of joy and happiness, it's rocky and trying and exhausting. God certainly called the right people to it, and Jesus is walking through it with them. But just because Jesus has given us blessings doesn't mean blessings are simple. An irony in life is that we call some of the most challenging things we have ever endured our biggest blessings. So in that same regard, if we don't step up to something that sounds hard and challenging, are we missing our chance for our most beautiful blessings? Romans 5, 3 through 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Have a wonderful end of 2019, everyone, and we will see you back at the well next year.